Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with Sarah Harrison and Mark O'Brien from the Determined Studio in San Francisco. Welcome, guys. Nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Can you can you just uh, you know on your on your website for the Determined uh, the design studio that you run there in San Francisco you talk about being there really to help people with communication around climate change. So it's timely. Um, could you give a bit more detail on, on that? Yeah. Um, so we are designers by trade and we've come together for this studio to offer our services to those who are tackling climate change. Um, you know, web design, branding, messaging, but we do more than just the creative services. We help them figure out um, new, unique, innovative approaches, um, help them go bold and elevate their communication so that it gets the attention and support that it deserves. Um, so we have a couple of pretty radical processes that we take people through and we can bring in a dream team of collaborators. We're a collective so we can bring in strategists, writers, illustrators, photographers, videographers, depending on what the project needs, kind of the Hollywood model type of uh, getting together, getting a project done. And so, you know, as designers, we have the opportunity to solve really gnarly problems with creativity. And Mark and I just realized about a year ago that the problems that we really want to solve are the big problems around climate change. And the best way that we can do that is by offering our skills and talents to those who are experts in the climate space. Yeah, and to add to that, um, we've been around for just over two years, um, but we had this kind of epiphany about a year ago. uh, We were invited, Sarah was invited to give a talk at an event one evening um, with a number of uh, scientists and researchers. You know, she was the only quote-unquote creative person in the lineup and, uh, you know, throughout the evening, we, we listen to other people present, um, you know, these scientists and researchers, they were leading with data and numbers and facts. And Sarah and I looked at each other in the back of the room, like, what are they talking about? <laughs> and, you know, we have this epiphany, wait a minute, 
these people, these, these are the people that need our help. These are the people that need a, a better way of presenting their ideas. They need a, a clearer message. And so that was kind of our shift um, from starting out as, as a studio helping social entrepreneurs to climate entrepreneurs. And so uh, we've been uh, working in this space for about a year now, and um, we worked um, in a, a few pillars, um, carbon technology, regenerative agriculture, ocean health, and a few others. And um, it's been fun to, to meet people, you know, these researchers and scientists working on these big, cool, gnarly challenges with, you know, Star Wars technology, um, as well as very simple technology, very simple methods as well. And so um, they're doing really important work, and we just feel like they need to get their messaging right. They need to get their branding right so that they can get the support that they need. And when we say support, we're talking about investors and users and partners and employees, anyone who's able to help elevate the work that they're doing. So it's kind of like telling a better story. Yeah. Yeah. Or more engaging or clearer or whatever. Finding the way that they can resonate with the humans that they need to win over. Yeah, and, and not to say that the technical data stuff isn't important, but I'm not sure that that's the best way to lead. That's the best way to, to start when they talk about their project to someone who can support them. You know, I think that stuff will come later. Um, but yeah, like what Sarah said, how do, you, how do you resonate with the person you're talking to? Yeah, I think that's so incredibly important. Um, I share your background in design as well and your commitment to communication. And, and um, it's just so good to see more, uh, more services along those lines. And particularly, you know, you're very well situated geographically for that, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's brilliant. And it's, you know, at some point you decide, one decides that it's just time to get serious about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in San Francisco, there's sort of this, it almost seems taboo to talk about climate change, you know, like there's all these people starting startups and saying, we're going to change the world, but they're talking like a lot of these people can't look any further when they're looking for a problem to solve than the empty toilet roll next to them on the toilet, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) open your eyes and solve a bigger problem. Like there's startups about delivering my gas, my next gas fill up because I can't be bothered to go to the gas station. And you're like, well, why are we even using gas in the first place? Like think bigger, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a hard thing, you know? And I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast series was to, I like the fact, you know, through regenerative, um, that there's a lot of very positive forward movement we can make. And, you know, by selecting, you know, what I I at least personally find really interesting people to speak with, Mm -hmm. um, we can start to help others see that whatever it is they happen to be doing in their life, there's probably an element of that that they could put towards basically repairing the system, you know? Um, before we before we actually started recording, uh, Sarah, we were talking a bit about this. Uh, we've just begun speaking about this uh, report, this UN report that has, has come out this week. Yeah. Um, and you had some some thoughts about that in terms of finding ways. Not not you know we talk a lot about why aren't people getting it, um, but I think it'd be really interesting to talk about how people get it. 
Um, you know, maybe in connection with that idea that no matter what it is that we're doing, um, there's an ability to turn that towards having positive impact. And you'd mentioned something about working with people at work. Yeah. Oh. People who have those, those kind of design skills or design orientation, even like you yeah. don't necessarily have to be trained up as a, as a designer with a design degree, but you need to be able to sort of like put puzzles together in your mind that way. Right. Yeah, well, here in San Francisco, you know, I have a friend network of all these people who are, like I said, working for startups or um, starting their own startups and a lot of technologists, a lot of designers, and a lot of people who are being paid to solve problems. And I noticed that none of them were thinking or talking about climate change ever. And so this report that came out from the UN this week, I think uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes to like, oh shit, this is happening now. This is like going to happen in my lifetime. And it, it really drives me crazy. The whole, like, we have to set our goal to avoid warming above two degrees Celsius by 2050. And that just seems like way far out there. But the way that that is phrased is it makes people think, oh, we're fine until we get to a two degree warming. No, there is a, you know, there's not like a hockey stick of we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. And then it's two degrees warmer than it was in pre-industrial levels. And now we're fucked. (laughs) It's not that at all. It's from now to two degrees, there is a diagonal line of getting worse and worse and worse as it gets warmer and warmer warmer so it's not that nothing is going to happen in our lifetime until we hit 2050 if we don't do something it's that 2050 mark or that two degrees celsius mark is we do not live on this planet anymore and so everything between now and two degrees is worsening (laughs) you know and so i think what's really good about the un report is a it said now it's not two degrees it's one and a half and that's going to happen in the next 10 to 12 years And so people are like, oh, this is actually happening in my lifetime. And the target is lower than I thought. And, you know, it's much more dire than I thought. And so a lot of people I'm seeing are kind of freaking out. They were, they thought they could ignore it. They thought it was something distant that they didn't have to think about. And now they're actually realizing, oh, this affects where I buy my home. This affects what I do for my job in the next 10 or 12 years. And they're really starting to think about it. And so what I was saying is like, if they have the skills to solve problems, just look at that big problem that we need to solve and apply your skills in that way. And it's way more than just like not using straws and avoiding the use of plastic bags. It's what can you do on a bigger level to make a bigger impact? And for that, I think, go to where you spend 40 plus hours a week, Um, go to your work and say, what can I do? to make a difference, either choosing who I work for or demanding that my employer use better sustainable practices or um, solve different problems. If you have that kind of impact or leverage. Um, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a privilege to be able to choose who you work for in the first place. There are a lot of people who do not have that privilege and you know, that's fine. Like you have to cover your bases, you have to pay your rent, but there are a lot of people in my network who are beyond that point and have the skills, you know, they're trained designers or engineers and have the problem solving skills that are in demand. So they have a choice where they can work. And a lot of these people, 
just, you know, work for the next social network or some like photo sharing app. And it's just like, really, that's where you're going to spend your time as the world burns around us. Like that's the problem you're going to solve is how better to optimize photos so we can share our cat photos every day. Like that's how you're going to spend your brain energy and your strategic problem solving skills. <laughs> it just boggles the mind. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing that's, you know, I hinted at it a few minutes ago, but it, it's really clear that the way forward through climate change, because also climate change isn't something that's coming. It's here. It's already here. As you said, there's that trajectory where every, you know, basically every increment is worse. Yes. Um, But I mean, it's pretty clear that the only way through this is going to be together. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's going to be a mass collaborative effort, you know, from all angles, all levels, from the, the, the top down to the bottom up. Yeah. I mean, we need everybody all hands on deck. And some of that, like I look at it and I'm like, I was a little bit being critical of like where you choose to work and stuff. And I'm not saying that all of these choices are terrible. Like there are people who are, for example, really good cooks. And I'm not saying that you have to um, quit your job as a cook and go be an engineer and create an app that solves climate change or something like that. It's not what I'm saying. Like we still need to eat. And, you know, even if you are like a really good cook, you could uh, demand that you source your food from sustainable stuff. Like there's still something you can do in every field. Um, But, you know, there's the supportive effort of like the people who are making food are feeding people so that the people who are, you know, designing the next uh, sensor for tracking carbon or whatever have something to eat while they're doing that. Like the whole system works together. Yeah, or, 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 or pitching in to run some sort of like community event where food is at the center. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it brings people together to actually talk about these things. Yeah, like we still need health services. We need um, food. We need art. We need artists. We need to be inspired. We yeah. need um, people to help direct the culture. You know, art plays a really huge role in um, how we see ourselves moving forward in the world, especially as we change our culture and change our practices. Well, I think that, um, you know, that we, we're coming out of this period where everything was segmented and separated and siloed, you know, and described in great detail, but kind of forgot to put back together again. <laughs> right. Um, and I, you know, one of these, one of these areas is, creativity, imagination, um, yeah. you know, this territory that, that perhaps design celebrates more than some, some other areas of focus. Um, I had a really good chat with Rob Hopkins from the Transition Network a couple of weeks ago, and it was all about imagination. That's, you know, where he's decided to put his energy is to kind of helping individuals and, and organizations and communities to find ways to reclaim their imaginative process. And we got into this conversation with a side discussion about the hippocampus, right? Mm-hmm. And the hippocampus is the part of the brain which enables us to have imagination and, maybe, and even more critically, it enables us to imagine ourselves into the future, right? Yeah. Which is what we all need to be really engaged in. And then 
the way in which stress and elevated cortisol levels shuts the hippocampus down. So we've got this, you know, we've got this kind of, it it could be a virtuous or it can be a, you know, destructive. Yeah. I'm fascinated with the brain because, you know, a lot of why we are the way we are so that we can avoid danger. And so we have a lot of things that we've learned based on fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that part of the brain is also the learning part of the brain, right? Where you learn, you know, if I put my hand on that and it's hot, I'm never going to put my hand on that again. <laughs> and so yeah. that reaction of like jerking my hand away happens in deep structures of the brain that I don't even have to think about. It's not happening in the frontal strategic part of the brain. It's, And so by that very same logic, you know, you have things in your brain that are happening subconsciously, often based on fear and things that you've learned or things that you've inherited from your culture Mm -hmm. that you don't even know are going on in your brain. It's so fascinating. And so a lot of the stuff that we um, are challenged with are those subconscious behind the scenes reactions and behaviors. you know, and, and when it comes to thinking about climate, it's so scary for people to think that, you know, they're not, they're going to wake up the next day and not going to be able to predict the weather or, you know, there's going to be floods on their coastal cities or, you know, they're not going to be able to predict where the sea, where the beach is anymore. And like things are changing beneath our feet, the, the world that we depend on. And I think that's going to affect people's brains in ways that we haven't ever seen before. And that's the danger. You know, that's really the danger if if we don't remember how to do things well and more frequently together. Mm -hmm. And if we don't engage directly in solutions, then what remains is either fear or denial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we need one of those fear kind of just increasingly ratchets tighter you know, our ability to imagine our way out. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, denial doesn't help at all. <laughs> Which is kind of what we've been in for the last 50 years. And, and, and I don't think we can do it alone. This is where the collective, the collaboration comes into play because mm-hmm. one's per, one person's imagination can only go so far. And, you know, you have the ability to yes and someone, right, to, to plus their idea so you can you know, grow this imaginative future together because everyone's bringing something very different to the table. Everyone's bringing their experiences and backgrounds as well as new ideas and fresh perspectives so we can build off of each other. And that's how innovative solutions come about. That's how um, we're able to, to come up with new, different, unique ways to solve these big challenges, very different than how we solved them before. And we're only learning more and more information as we get that information. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we, that's why our studio is a collective model. And so as what um, Sarah mentioned in, in the intro, you know, every project that we work with clients on, we bring our dream team of, of collaborators together because we feel as if, you know, these are the right people to be on the job with their certain skill sets and expertise so that we can all kind of build up um, and, and yes, and each other's ideas. Cause we need that. We need imaginative new um, curiosity. We need, we need ways to think about um, solving this stuff because the way that we've been doing it in the past obviously isn't working. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of denial and a lot of ignoring and a lot of burying our heads in the sand about these problems. And I really think we need to like start talking about them and start, um, yeah, like you were saying, like imagining different possibilities for a different future 
right now, I think our imaginings are going towards doom and gloom because that's what scientists have been warning us about. But like when scientists warn us about doom and gloom, they're not trying to scare, I mean, kind of trying to scare us, but that's not the end goal. The goal is, hey, this is the thing we're trying to avoid. Let's think creatively together, collaboratively to solve the problem. I don't know what the solution is, but I know what will happen if we do nothing. That's what they're saying. Yeah, so, and, and, like, We need a better solution. Let's do something that's more positive and, and hopeful. Yeah, and going back to messaging, even the, the climate change space, too, with this more doom and bloom approach, we don't need that. Yeah. You know, we have a good friend, um, Marie Mauser, at, um, the executive director at Mini Labs here in San Francisco. You know, she has this whole doom and bloom. You know, bloom. She, she sees, and a few of our other colleagues sees um, this as a really great opportunity. You know, let's step into this challenge and actually collectively come together and create new jobs, new ways of living. Let's change the narrative of how we as a species live on this planet. And so just that shift, you know, it's the glass half empty versus glass half full. And so I think even just the messaging around climate, the the polar bears, you know, on the little iceberg, you know, sad face, whatever, like, you know, that only can go so far. So how can we all come together collectively and, and look at this as an opportunity as opposed to a crisis? And, and the reality is, you know, this kind of combination of, it's a tiny percent. You might remember the figure that gets thrown around, but it's, I mean, it's, is it even just as small as 1% yeah. of kind of public opinion, you know, being really adamant about something is enough to tip change in, you know, like in the political system, for instance, um, it's a small amount. Right. And so, well more than that minimum amount is really familiar with the picture of the polar bear on the iceberg. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I think we can step beyond that um, and realize that not only is the science complex and the earth system or a set of systems, you know, system of systems, incredibly complex, but that, and that human beings, you know, are also, we are also complex, mm -hmm. that the solution needs to involve kind yeah. of a recognition of, the, of that complexity. And that enables us to, again, move into there with this kind of sense of exploration. Yeah. And what what's, strikes me as paradoxical about that is that, you know, the motivator is the impending collapse or the or the even the collapse which is in process right <laughs> and yet the effective response you know not to be you know pollyanna or or you know really blithe about this you know but their respect the the, the appropriate response is creativity and love you know i mean it's it's like you've got to put the energy you want to have happening into the picture or it won't be there Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, are, we know that, you know, this kind of, I mean, beyond the people who understand the polar bear on the ice cube, right? There's, there's this general sense when you, when you ask people about the future, chances are the answer is going to be dystopic, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's kind of like something out of Road Warrior or, or you know. <laughs> It's, you know, we're all going to be eating each other while the cities burn. And, <laughs> you know, if that's the future you're imagining, why would you do anything to consider it further? Yeah, no wonder you don't want to think about it. Right. 
Right. No wonder you want to distract yourself with the next um, high gloss sheen photo app because it's fun and sparkly right now and you don't have to think about the future. Well, yeah, it's, it's right now. It's not, you know, three, four, five generations from now. And I think one of the flaws in our species is that we suck at long-term thinking. We suck at, at long-term vision. And so, you know, yeah, we can maybe think about our, our kids' generation, maybe our grandkids' generation. But what this report did earlier in the week, you know, the IPCC UN report, you know, it, it, it shrunk down that time frame. You know, so for a good while, we were talking about 2100. So if you have a baby now, that your kid will be 80 years old, most likely a grandparent in 2100. Right. So then their grandkids would really, you know, get the blunt of all this. But that report now shrunk it down to, you know, 12, 15 years. So then your kid today. It's not even your kid. Well, us too. It's yeah. Us. Us. Yeah. <laughs> and know? so, um, yeah, I think to go back to your point about love, too, it's like, are we, you know, is everyone, you know, the three of us on this call, you know, the people in our co-working space, you know, as well as the, the CEOs of big oil companies and big auto and big plastic, are they, are we all thinking about our future generations beyond our kid or grandkids? Are we thinking about the fifth, sixth, seventh generation? Are we thinking about a hundred years ahead of us? Are we doing the things that we can to ensure that we are um, providing them a world that is abundant and plentiful because that right there, if, I mean, that speaks to love. Are we loving our, 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 our kin? Are we loving the people that our family, are we loving our friends and, and neighbors around us? And I don't know. I don't, I don't think we, I think a lot of us are and a lot of us hope we are, but I think some of the, not to get too anarchist right now, because this is maybe a different episode. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll um, keep my anarchist views aside, but you know, I feel like there's a lot of people in very powerful positions in certain industries that are very one-sided, very me, 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 you know, I want, you know, money, power, you know, now, and they're, they're not thinking about their future generations. And it just, it, it's crazy to think that it's so wild. How, how are we not all thinking that? I think it's the fear thing. Like, I think we have a culture right now that maybe because we've grown up knowing that this crisis is coming in the back of our heads, um, we've been thinking about me, 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 me first. Like I got to get mine. I got to, yeah. you know, earn my living and make my savings. And, you know, our society has made the, the money purse strings really tight. And so everybody kind of has to think that way to survive. And it's, I think it's changed our brains. Like we were talking about the hippocampus earlier. And I think that it's a really good point that you made Eric, where like the hippocampus can imagine a better future or it can be used to, um, live in fear and imagine the doom and gloom that may be approaching if I don't save up my money and like buy my big bunker in New Zealand where I can go hide from the zombie apocalypse and think about myself and hoard all of my goods and not uh, put my efforts towards the greater good and making sure that everybody has enough to eat and uh, the people that live on the coast that I, you know, I don't have to worry about because I live up on my hill, you know, like the people who live on the coast, their land is going to be flooded soon, but I don't have to worry about that. That's not my problem. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Good old capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say something about that. Um, 
yeah, kind of keeping it on the level of sort of brain chemistry and, 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 you know, species behavior, that sort of thing. It's like, you know, we have this incredible ability to obsess about stuff, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, if one of the things that capitalism is, is an obsession about the, you know, accumulation and partitioning off and hoarding of yeah. resources, uh-huh. right? It's not even necessarily the capital that derives or is implied from them. It's, you know, the resources themselves, you know, it's like wars are mostly about fought over resources. You know, sometimes they use religion as an excuse, but when it comes down to it, it's really a follow the money exercise. So if you yeah, given, I don't think we're going to stop people from obsessing, but you know, like when you work with an addiction or an addictive person, one of the, one of the, the, um, one of the techniques that uh, can be a good part of that mix is to help them substitute something either, you know, non-destructive uh, or maybe even positive for whatever they've been obsessing about in a, in a destructive way, right? So that obsession gets shifted. It's not like you're trying to, you or the client, you know, are trying to eradicate obsessiveness from their, you know, their mindset. You're just saying obsess about this instead. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, I mean, maybe we need to be getting people to, uh, I, maybe we need to find ways to entice people, right. To shift over to something which is actually feels good to do and finding wow. solutions for stuff is incredibly gratifying. You know, it's stimulating wow. in all, all the right ways. Um, but also the same way, like, I, I don't know if you guys are gardeners. Um, I am, and I know a lot of other gardeners and, you know, we obsess about plants for sure. You know, we obsess about, you know, making the compost, you know, the best possible. We obsess about, you know, uh, what can we do with these if they're, if they're economic plants. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot about any kind of hobby. And most people have a hobby of some form, some form or another, um, which really taps into that kind of like joy of noodling away at something, right? And 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 to me, that is part of the sort of whatever that spectrum of obsessiveness might be. You know, the the, the ability to come back to a problem and keep picking at it, you know, and, and until you find some way forward or some way to improve that. We're going to take a break now, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. You know, I don't know if this is like a San Francisco thing, a techie thing, but a lot of people on their phones have these little apps. Like, you know, Apple iPhones come with a, a stock tracker app. Or, you know, maybe people are checking the apps to see how how much the price of their Bitcoin has changed. And uh, this is an idea that comes from our buddy Tito of Impossible Labs. He was like, why isn't there an app to show how much carbon is in the atmosphere? 
or what the average global temperature is compared to pre-industrial levels. Like, what is that marker? Because these things are so abstract and we can't see them. But like, if everybody started obsessing over how many parts per million of carbon were in the atmosphere every day, and like you saw a graph, I think once Tito wrote this article um, about why isn't there this, uh, somebody made one. And so now there's at least a few graphs where you can go and see it. But if you were checking that every day, and like that became your obsession and started to noodle that problem. If a bunch of people were doing that, you know, there's little ways that we can draw carbon out of the air every day. And if a bunch of people started thinking about that instead of just the price of their Bitcoin, you know, maybe yeah, we yeah. can make a big difference. And make it into a game. Make it into a game, exactly. That's where my brain goes too. I have this game called a uh, Terra Genesis on my phone where you can terraform different planets. <laughs> I am. Um, I got. She's I got, obsessed. I know. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. I unlocked the ability to play Earth after doing the Moon and Venus and Mars. <laughs> you can terraform Earth, but you start now, and so like you have very limited time before sea levels rise to uh, <laughs> eliminate everyone, everything. And if you spend all of your time getting the um, temperature down, then everything freezes, and it's just like the the delicate balance that we're dealing with is so. It's, mm -hmm. But it's, it's a good thing to obsess over. I think it's it's important to understand the system that we're working with and all the different things that need to come together to solve this problem. We need obsession. Well, I think, I think to <laughs> and, and I think I think we need to help people, you know, bring back that joy of, of, of solutioning. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, you know, there's a second part to that, though. We need obsession and then we need opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's only so much we can obsess over you know, we can see the data, we can see the charts of the CO2 in the atmosphere, the level of sea, um, or the level of our oceans. But eventually, what I would want to be um, in, put in place is the what's next, what can I do? And to go back to what Sarah mentioned earlier on the, on the call, you know, everyone can do their part, whether it is on the personal side of recycling, composting, whatever, or, you know, putting um, initiatives at work you know, at your work together to address this or quitting your job and doing something else. I mean, there's all these different ways you can do it. So let's obsess over it, but then let's also, you know, create those opportunities for people to then latch onto and say, I want to help. I can contribute. Yeah. It, it strikes me the the possible a flip side, I don't know how many sides this thing has, but um, a flip side of obsession might be fascination. Sure. Yeah. And that's your ability to kind of keep your attention on something and, and, and really explore it. We talked a little bit. Go ahead. Sorry. At the very least, we need to be talking about climate change and not just ignoring it and denying that it's happening. Yeah, let's talk about um, how storytelling fits into that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe explore a little bit about the opportunities for a more regenerative and positive uh, imaging of our future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in story format and then possibly segue from that into some of the work you guys are doing. Sure. Um, I think, you know, kind of what Mark hinted on earlier, a lot of climate scientists and climate experts, um, since we're talking about climate change, like they'll lead with the facts and the data. They abstract things to this point where you just like don't even know what they're saying. Like this two degrees Celsius of warming 
thing um, means absolutely nothing to anybody in America because we don't even think in Celsius for one thing, but it's also like an abstracted average global temperature relative to whatever the temperature was before we started burning fossil fuels, basically. Um, so these abstract numbers and facts just go right over people's heads and it, it means something, but you have to do that translation. Like even I just did that translation in my head, like, okay, it's two degrees Celsius is warmer than it was. Like you have to do that abstract calculation in your head every time you have to talk about it. Um, and so it doesn't mean anything to the average person who may not even know that much detail about it. So, you know, scientists have to do that to be able to quantify things and do the math and stuff that they do. Um, but when they turn around and communicate that to the outside world, they sort of forget that that's not the world that everybody lives in. Like people don't have that whole data set in their heads. And the, the way that people understand information, the way that we've understood information for as long as we've been able to communicate is through story. And so telling a story about how our life might be different, you know, not the story about how our might, life might be different once we all die and burn, um, but maybe telling the story about how our life might be different when we don't have to go to the gas station and we don't use, you know, this kind of electricity, telling the story of how we can actually solve this problem can be a lot more productive than just telling the facts and numbers and things about the problem that we're solving. So I just like, it's an, it's a level of abstraction kind of for the scientists to get rid of the level of abstraction that is creating a barrier between scientists and the rest of the population for understanding. And I think that's the biggest thing that people, you know, in the climate space haven't really comprehended because they're so focused on science. They're so focused on the technical details and they need to be focused on these things, but then they get really frustrated when they can't communicate about their ideas, when they can't win people over to their side and they can't, you know, um, attract volunteers or attract employees or attract funders. We're having a huge funding problem. Like there's a ton of people with really great technology. You know, Mark and I just talked to somebody yesterday and Mark was like, tell us about your product. And he started out with like atmospheric condensation, blah, blah, blah. And eventually he got to the point where he was like, imagine going out into the sun with your six pack of beer and you don't have a refrigerator, but with this technology, you can keep your beer cold all day. That's the story. That's what he should have yeah, with. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's where he should have started. That's where he should have started instead of like these four or five syllable terms. And I'm a pretty smart kid, but I'm like, you are talking way over my head right now. Like, let's bring this down to earth so that I can get behind you. You know? Well, it's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like they, they get to the implication at the end. Yeah. Right. right? If, if they ever do. Starting with that, <laughs> yeah. There's there's a there's a thing we uh, we've been using um, over the last few months in our workshops when we get on the messaging, the story uh, with our clients. Um, you know, I always tell them make a hairdresser in LA, make a grandma in Kansas, or a plumber in Buffalo, New York. Make them understand what you're doing. Make, you know, make them care about the work that you're doing. Have make them understand your technology. Like talk to them. Why should they care? Why should they care? You know, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, the, the data and the facts, they're important. And you, you, you know, we'll get to that. <laughs> you know, you don't go on a first date saying, you know, hey, let's get married. 
<laughs> you know, you go on a first date and, you know, you introduce yourself and you kind of ease into that. And then, you know, a few more dates and then maybe you'll pop the question. First date, here's my budget. Here's what I need to make a year. How much do you make a year? We need to like combine our forces. So I'm thinking about buying a house that costs <laughs> this much and I've got two and a half years before I need to get pregnant. So let's go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is not too uncommon in San Francisco. <laughs> but yeah, the, the story stuff, it's, it's really fascinating. And, you know, um, one of, one of my good buddies, Eric Hyman, he, he, uh, we teach together at California College of the Arts. I steal this from him all the time. His whole thing when he's working with design students, make me care. You know, when his students are presenting a project or a concept, he always, that's kind of his catchphrase and the students hate it. <laughs> but it's, just, it's make, me, make me care. Make me care about the, the design that you're doing, the, the work that you're doing. You know, and it's hard for students because they want to polish, they, they want to focus on the polish, pretty design stuff, just like scientists want to focus on the technology. Mm-hmm. And again, it's all important. We're not saying that this is not important. It's just there's, there's different approaches to lead with. There's different ways of starting that conversation. I like that metaphor between designers and scientists. Like designers can get the same kind of tunnel vision about their what font they're using or what yeah. size pen stroke they put on that thing and like how they put the gradient in the background and all this stuff. And they might come out with that when they're giving their presentation. And it's like, no, make me care. No. What is this used for? How does it affect somebody's life? Why does it bring change in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Because they, yeah, there's a, there's a few factors there, but I think I think the thing that the technicians and 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 the researchers really need to think about in terms of communication is just that which you said, mm-hmm. you know, make me care. All your data that is convinced and possibly horrified you, depending on your field, mm-hmm. um, that's supportive. Yeah, right. It's not it's not persuasive unless you're speaking to someone who's engaged with that information. Yeah, and then there's kind of like. There's always that, like, what's an optimum amount? What's an optimum amount of detail and depth, you know, that, that you want to just put out there and maybe just hold the rest back and use it to answer questions? Mm-hmm. It's all about knowing your audience, understanding what frame of mind they're coming in with and what questions they're trying to answer, um, understanding what is the goal of the conversation if you want to change behavior or get people to give you money or mm-hmm. get people to join your team, like, having that in mind and then structuring your story to have those ends. You know, sometimes that doesn't mean going into the nitty gritty details about how to solve the problem. It's more about painting the picture of the possibility that solving the problem might bring. Yeah. And so, and so working with our clients, you know, we, we walk them through that process. And so whether it's a website pitch deck, marketing strategy, marketing campaign, you know, we walk them through that process because they might not have ever sat down and really thought about who they're talking to or what they want them to do. Again, they're focused on the work that they're doing, which again is important, but it's not the only thing. So how do people, how do people come to you? I mean, I'm sure there's a variety, but, but how do they come to you and what do they ask for um, that would enable you to end up helping them to learn to tell a better story, for instance? Yeah, we're, we're fortunate enough to, to, be friends with um, a, a lot of great, amazing, smart people doing some really cool stuff. We're part of a number of networks. I mentioned Mini Labs earlier. Um, it's a it's a, a network um, centered around carbon tech, and so we've been part of Mini Labs for about a year now, and we've been meeting an amazing amount of people doing some really cool stuff. And we've um, got a number of clients through that network. 
Um, we're part of uh, various other networks around regenerative agriculture. Um, and so, you know, just kind of being in the mix. Um, and, and surprisingly, uh, we're, we're kind of the only designers, the only creative people, you know. Um, I don't go to a lot of design events these days. Um, I go to climate events because these are the people that we can help. I want to meet them. I want to know what they're doing and see how we, as the determined, the studio, can help them, you know, accelerate and scale the impact of their work. Um, so it's just been, you know, and, and also, too, living in the Bay Area, you know, we're very privileged with, you know, with Silicon Valley and, and all these different um, sub-industries that are just, you know, really, um, uh, really coming of age when it comes to, you know, these technologies. And so it's like, we want to be at the forefront of that. We want to be right there so that we are known as a studio focused on climate. Yeah. So a lot of times people come to us because they need a new website or they need to create a marketing campaign and they don't realize that they also need help with their messaging. But once you get into it, what are you going to put on that website? What's it going to say? What is that billboard going to say? What do you want them to do? Yeah. What do you want people to do? Who's the viewer? So we get into that whole process out of, Hey, I need a new website. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what is your website going to say? What do you want people to do once they get there? How do you want people to get there? (laughs) That whole process always, always, always leads into a messaging conversation. So we didn't set out to be uh, a messaging, you know, design studio or anything like that. Our background is in graphic design, web design, UX design, software design, but the words that are on those things are the most important part, really. The design just supports the words, and the words is communicating a concept and changing people's behavior in the end. So that's what always ends up being, um, it, it surprised us at first, and now we just make it a forefront of our process like what is it going to say how are you going to communicate this yeah you can have a sl- slick looking website or a, a, a nice app but it all comes down to the messaging and the, and the call to action what we were talking about earlier what how do you tell the story of what it is you're trying to do and then what do you want people to do after they learn that story mm-hmm. it's kind of basic isn't it? it is <laughs> it's simple it is basic mm-hmm. it's but it's also hard it, it is hard you know? one of the hardest things like you know people a, lot are struggling. Of, a lot of our clients you know it, it, sometimes sometimes clients are easy sometimes it's pulling teeth yeah um but we eventually get there <laughs> and then they start to see the, i think one of the, the cool things about the work that we do is you know at moments we see our clients you know have this epiphany you know their eyes are, are wide open they're just like, oh i get it now Yeah, that's my favorite part is that light bulb moment. And then they're off to the races. You know, we don't actually write messaging for people. We're not writers. We turn the lights on so that what they're trying to say can come out. And a lot of the time, it's the thing that they're afraid to say is the thing that they need to say. So we worked with a group that um, created a website and billboard and campaign to talk to Governor Brown about his fossil fuels policy. Um, Brown's Last Chance. The Brown's Last Chance campaign. And, and a lot of what we were talking about there is like, how are you going to communicate this? And, you know, it's a coalition of nonprofits and they were kind of being safe and uh, wordy. Like a lot of nonprofits are very wordy. And so we really pushed them to just like hone that message and, and put it into bold, pithy sentences and statements and just, you know, really take a stand. And I, I think we pushed them a little bit out of their comfort zone, but what ended up coming out of that was stronger, way stronger than it would have been if we just took the copy that they handed us and put it on the website, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a whole, the whole issue around authenticity and engagement too. Yeah. Like, like people, people know, 
you know, like most people are, are perceptive. If you look at almost any business's website and like read the first headline and then the mission and vision, it's like everybody has this language that they speak in when they're trying to write business messaging and it's so flat and boring. It's jarring. I'm not telling like everyone that their their messaging sucks, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the stereotype of messaging. It's safe. Oh, it's it's safe. It's and I think so with, with the with climate specifically, there's no time to be safe. And it's not authentic we and it need, doesn't touch people. Yeah, we need to we need to go do shit together. We have no <laughs> time, especially after the IPCC report. We don't we they've they've cut our years off. Mm-hmm. We have shorter amount of time. So there's no there's no room to be safe. We need to be blunt. We need to be direct. We need to get people off their butts. We need to change policy. We need to do all the above. Yeah. We need to be very clear and very authentic about what we're trying to say. And most companies, you know, the people behind those companies, they know what they want to say, but they're always too scared to say it. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of push people to say what they're afraid to say. Find a way to say it so that they're not hiding behind this veneer. Yeah. And it's almost, I've often heard that come out after 15 minutes of not being there, you know, and then the final thing that comes out when they're emptied of things to say. Yeah. Just keep asking why. The five whys, like that Simon Sinek or somebody. But yeah, like keep asking, well, why why do you want people to do this? What do you want them to do next? Why? Mm -hmm. And then you get there, like after a bunch of levels, it's always hidden under a bunch of layers of, safety yeah. and like couching and hedging our bets. Yeah. It's, it's the idea of talking to us or talking to the people you want to talk to as if we're eight years old. Sure. You know, it's mm-hmm. another approach, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like a lot of the reports and even the, the, all the, all the articles that were talking about this re- most recent report, we're still talking high level data facts, 1.5 degrees Celsius. What the hell does that mean? I haven't seen any articles really highlighting the implications of day-to-day life that we are all going to eventually be living. Mm-hmm. You know, how does how does food and education and, and air quality, um, um, real estate, you know, all the things that we interact with on a day-to-day um, basis, how does that all how is that all going to be affected? So I would love to see more articles centered around that because I think that will help people get a better sense of, oh shit, this is a thing. We need to get our stuff together. Like we need to work on this, and then it also will encourage the climate entrepreneurs that we work with, as well. Um, uh, it'll also encourage them to, you know, talk through that lens as well. So you come in, you're coming at it from both sides. You're coming at it from the climate entrepreneurs who, who are creating the the solutions and approaches, as well as the journalists, the writers, highlighting that stuff so that the layperson, you know, um, can get a better sense of what's going on and what they can do and how they need to adapt. It, I think there's space out there for a comic book. Absolutely. Yeah. Your, your life under climate change. I yeah. was wondering if there was any good, you know, graphic novel or TV show or movie about what, you know, there's a lot about the dystopian version. I love Interstellar, like when all of the farms can only produce wheat and corn. <laughs> and so, like, they just sort of put cornbread on the table with corn muffins and corn like corn on the cob like this is dinner (laughs) so like this casual um approach to like here's what life looks like but the more hopeful one where it's like okay we're not using gas cars anymore and our electricity is coming from here and like maybe we have different ways of disposing of waste and 
Um, but not saying it in a like, here's what you should do way, but just painting the picture of what life looks like, because I think a lot of people are having trouble imagining it. It's hard. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. One is that sort of old truism that if you want to convince somebody of something, you don't stand on the opposite side of the room and demand they come over. Sure. Yeah. You know, you walk over to where they're standing, you see it from their eyes, and then you walk back together in the direction you hope to take them. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Like, I tried to go zero waste a couple of years ago, you know, the zero waste movement where you just like, if you look it up, there's pictures of and videos of girls who have like a jar, like a mason jar, and they're like, this is all the trash that I threw away in the last five years. <laughs> whatever it's all in this jar um so i tried to reduce how much you know plastic and stuff i was throwing away and it really affects your life in ways that you don't imagine you know all the things that you buy you have to realize you're bringing this plastic into your house this wrapping this packaging and just these tiny tiny things it was actually very overwhelming and then you realize that the way that you shop has to change, the way that the grocery store stocks their food has to change, the way that like you can't eat meat because you can't buy packaged meat if you don't want to have plastic and foam. And so like all these tiny details, are, they get really overwhelming if you're trying to do it. But if we can see it in the media that we're consuming, that's why I was saying earlier, we, we need art, we need artists, we need filmmakers, we need um, storytellers and novelists and songwriters, songwriters, absolutely. We need infiltrate pop culture. Yes, we need to create a culture that reflects what we're moving towards, not the doom and gloom that we could be moving towards if we don't do it. But imagine this world that um, is sustainable and regenerative and creates more opportunity and less waste. Yeah. Do you, do you see any of that starting to happen in the Bay Area? That's what I was asking. Like, are there any you know graphic novels or TV shows? I've been watching Mr. Robot, which is more of the dystopian thing. Um, I don't know. Or the musicians, or public art. Or... Yeah. Right. I mean, we're in the Bay Area. We're seeing a few exhibitions and you know art pieces, public art pieces being put up here and there. Um, I just went to the Pole and Ice exhibit at Fort Mason earlier in September. Um, so we're seeing it. Um, but, you know, the Pole and Ice exhibit was in Fort Mason in San Francisco during the Global Climate Action Summit. Great. But that should be in Texas. That should be in Oklahoma. That should be in Middle America, right? Um, so, you know, we're seeing it. It's a, it's a first step. And, and it's great that people are putting emphasis, artists and designers and Filmmaker. I mean, you know, we're seeing it here and there. It's just we need more people to jump on this train and to, and to, and to contribute. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on the hour. Um, how do people find you? So our website is thedetermined.co. Not .com, but .co. Um, and from there, we have a bunch of, we have a newsletter. We call it our mixtape. We send out the projects and songs and updates we've been influenced by and jam into lately. Um, we send that out every couple, whenever. <laughs> couple weeks, couple months. Yeah. Um, we, have a, we have a blog. We have a bunch of articles on there, both, you know, some of our ideal philosophies and um, just practical tips for how to make your messaging rock or how to, like, uh, rapidly prototype. We do a lot of teaching. So Mark and I are both teachers. Um, Mark teaches at CCA, uh, the Interaction Design, Graphic Design program. And um, 
Yeah, I think the determined.co is the best place to start and you can branch out from there. Yeah. And we're based in San Francisco and we work out of the Impact Hub SF. And um, we're always um, out and about. We sometimes do our own events. We just started a new um, event series called Thinking Wrong About Climate Change. And so the first event was back in September and it was centered around carbon tech. And the next, the next event that we want to put on will be centered around thinking around about climate change, regenerative culture. And so we hope to do a, a, a series of these types of events where it's a guided networking event. It's very lightweight. You'll meet people in your industry, in the, in the industry that, um, you know, we're focused on for that one particular event, you know, uh, introduce some think wrong elements, which is part of our creative process. And uh, so we're, we hope to do um, more of those throughout the, the next few months. Um, and what else? Yeah. So if, you're, if that sounds interesting, you can sign up to get on the um, mailing list to get notified when we set a date for that event mm-hmm. and all the other ones. Yeah. Great. I appreciate your time, guys. And yeah. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to share our views and have this conversation. Yeah, this is fun. Well, I think we'll have a few more. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, Eric. Okay. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of designing paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. R-A-S-A dot A-G. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.